Chapter 7 My dinner goes up in smoke. Word of the bathroom incident spread immediately. Wherever I went, campers, campers pointed at me and murmured something about toilet water. Or maybe they were just staring at Annabelle, who was still pretty much dripping wet. She showed me a few more places. The metal shop, where kids were forging their own swords. The arts and crafts room, where Sarahs were stand-blasting a giant marble statue of a goat man. And the climbing wall, which actually consisted of two facing walls that shook violently. Dropped boulders, sprayed lava, and clashed together if you didn't get to the top fast enough. Finally, we returned to the canoeing lake, where the trail led back to the cabins. I got training to do, and I bet said flatly. Dinner is at 7.30. Just follow your cabin to the mess hall. And I bet, I'm sorry about the toilet. Whatever. It wasn't my fault. She looked at me skeptically and realized it was my fault. I made water shoot out of the bathroom fixtures. I didn't understand how, but the toilets had responded to me. I had become one with the plumbing. You'll need to talk to the oracle, Annabeth said. Who? Not who, what? The oracle, I'll ask Karen. I stared into the lake, wishing somebody would give me a straight answer for once. I wasn't expecting anybody to be looking back at me from the bottom, so my heart skipped a beat when I noticed two teenage girls sitting cross-legged at the base of the pier. About 20 feet below, they wore blue jeans and shimmering green t-shirts, and their brown hair floated loose around their shoulders as minnows started in and out. They smiled, and I waved and waved as if I were a long-lost friend. I didn't know what else to do. I waved back. Don't encourage them, Annabeth warned. Nines are terrible flirts. Nines? I repeated, feeling completely overwhelmed. That's it. I want to go home now. Annabeth frowned. Don't you get it, Percy? You are home. This is the only safe place on earth for kids like us. You mean mentally disturbed kids? I mean, not human, not totally human anyway, half human. Half human and half what? I think you know. I didn't want to admit it, but I was afraid I did. I felt a tingling in my lips, a sensation I sometimes felt when my mom talked about my dad. God, I said, half God. Annabeth nodded. Your father isn't dead, Percy. He's one of the Olympians. That's crazy. Is it? What's the most common thing gods did in the old stories? They ran around falling in love with humans and having kids with them. Do you think they've changed their habits in the last few millennia? But those are just... I almost said myths again. Then I remembered Karen's warning that in 2,000 years, I might be considered a myth. But if all the kids here are half-gods, demigods, Annabeth said. That's the official term. Or half-bloods. Then, who's your dad? Her hands tightened around the pure railing. I got the feeling I just trespassed on a sensitive subject. My dad is a professor at West Point, she said. I haven't seen him since. I was very small. He teaches American history. He's human. What? Your human has to be a male god who finds a human female attractive? How sexist is his dad? Who's your mom, then? Cabin six. Meaning, at a bed straightened, Athena, goddess of wisdom and bad. Okay, I thought. 
Why not? And my dad, undetermined, at a bedside. Like I told you before, nobody knows. Except my mother, she knew. Maybe not, Percy. God's son almost revealed their identities. My dad would have. He loved her. Annabeth gave me a cautious look. She didn't want to burst my bubble. Maybe you're right. Maybe we'll send a sign. That's the only way to know for sure your father has to send you a sign. Claiming you as his son. Sometimes it happens. You mean sometimes it doesn't? Annabeth ran her palm along the rail. The gods are busy. They have a lot of kids. And they don't always... Well, sometimes they don't care about us. Percy, they ignore us. I thought about some of the kids I'd seen in Hermes' cabin. Teenagers who looked sullen and depressed, as if they were waiting for a call that would never come. I'd known kids like that against a cabin, shuffled off to boarding school by rich parents who didn't have the time to deal with them. But God should have better. So I'm stuck here, I said. That's it for the rest of my life? It depends, Annabeth said. Some campers only stay on the summer. Say summer. If you're a child of Aphrodite or Demeter, you're probably not a real powerful force. The monsters might ignore you. So you can get by with a few months of summer training and live in the mortal world the rest of the year. But for some of us, it's too dangerous to leave. We're year-rounders. In the mortal world, we attract monsters. They sense us. They come to challenge us. Most of the time, they'll ignore us until we're old enough to cause trouble. About 10 or 11 years old. But after that, most demigods either make their way here, or they get killed off. A few manage to survive in the outside world and become famous. Believe me, if I told you the names, you'd know them. Some don't even realize they're demigods, but very, very few people are like that. So monsters can get in here? Annabeth shook her head. None unless they're intentionally stoked in the woods or especially summoned by someone on the inside. Why would anyone want to summon a monster? Practical fights, practical jokes. Practical jokes? The point is, the borders are sealed to keep morals and monsters out. From the outside, morals look into the valley and see nothing unusual, just a, just a strawberry farm. So you're a rear-rounder? Annabeth nodded. From under the collar of her t-shirt, she pulled a leather necklace with five clay beads of different colors. It was just like Luke's, except Annabeth also had a big gold ring strung in it, like a college ring. I've been here since I was seven, she said. Every August, on the last day of summer session, you get a B for surviving another year. I've been here longer than most of the counselors, and they're in college. Why did you come so young? She twisted the ring on her necklace. None of your business. Oh, I stood there for a minute in an uncomfortable silence. So, I could just walk out of here right now if I wanted to? It would be suicide, but could, but with Mr. D's or Karen's permission. But they don't give permissions until the summer session, unless, unless you're granted a quest. But that hardly ever happens. The last time, her voice strayed off. I could tell from the tone that the last time it hadn't gone well. Back in the sick room, I said, when you were feeding me that stuff, a brosha, 
Yes, you asked me something about the summer solstice. Annabeth's shoulder tense. So, do you know something? Well, no. Back at my old school, I overheard Grover and Karen talking about it. Grover mentioned at the summer solstice. He said something like we didn't have much time because of the deadline. What did that mean? She clenched her fist. I wish I knew. Karen and the Taters, they know they won't tell me. Something is wrong in Olympus, something pretty major. Last time I was there, everything seemed so normal. You've been to Olympus? Some of us year-rounders look in Clarice and I have three others. We take a field trip during winter solstice. That's when the gods have their big annual council. But how did you get there? The Long Island Railroad, Railroad, of course. You get off of the Penn Station, Emperor State Building, special elevator to the 600 floor. She looked at me like she was sure I must know this already. You are a New Yorker, right? Oh, sure. As far as I knew, there were only 102 floors in the Empire State Building, but I decided not to point it out. Right after we visited, Annabeth continued, the weather got weird, as if the gods had started fighting. I can figure out that is that something important was stolen, and it, if it isn't returned by the summer solstice, there's going to be trouble. When you came, I was hoping, I mean, Athena can get along with just about anybody, except for Aris, and of course, she got a rivalry beside him. But I mean, aside from that, I thought we could work together. I thought you might know something. I shook my head. I wish I could help her. But I felt too hungry and tired to mentally overload to ask, my more, ask many more questions. I've got to get a quest, and I bet muttered herself. I'm not too young. If they just would tell me the problem, I could smell barbecue smoke coming from somewhere nearby. Annabeth must have heard my stomach growl. She told me to go on. She'd catch me later. I left her on the pier, tracking her finger across the rail as if drawing a battle plan. Back at cabin 11, everybody was talking and horsing around waiting for dinner. For the first time, I noticed that a lot of campers had similar features. Sharp noses, upturned eyebrows, mischievous smiles. They were the kind of kids that teachers would peg as if troublemakers. Thankfully, nobody paid much attention to me as I walked over to my spot on the floor and plopped down with my miniature horn. The counselor, Luke, came over. He had a Hermes family resemblance, too. It was marred by the scar on his striped cheek but his smile was intact. Found you a sleeping bag, he said. And here, I sold him some toiletries from the camp store. I couldn't tell if he was kidding about ceiling part. I said, thanks, no prob. Luke sat next to me, pushed his back back against the wall. Tough first day? I don't belong here, I said. I don't even believe in the gods. Yeah, he said. That's how we all started. Once you start believing in them, it doesn't get any easier. The bitterness in his voice surprised me because Luke seemed like a pretty easygoing guy. He looked like he could handle just about anything. So your dad is Hermes? I asked. He pulled the switchblade out of his back pocket. And for a second, I thought he was going to gut me, but he just scraped the mud off the sole in his sandal. Yeah, Hermes. The Wingfoot Messenger guy? 
that's him. Messengers, medicine, travelers, merchants, teas, anybody uses the roads. That's why you're here enjoying Cabin Eleven's hospitality. Hermes isn't picky about who he sponsors. I figured Luke didn't mean to call me a nobody. He just had a lot in his mind. You ever met your dad? I asked once. I waited, thinking if he wanted to tell me, he'd tell me. Apparently, he didn't. I wondered if the story had anything to do how he got the scar. Luke looked up and managed to smile. Don't worry about it, Percy. The campers here, they're mostly good people. After all, we're extended family, right? We take care of each other. He seemed to understand how lost I felt. And I was grateful for that because an older guy like him, even if he was a counselor, should should have steered clear of an uncalled middle school like me. But Luke had welcomed me into the cabin. He'd even stolen some toiletries, which was the nicest thing anybody had done for me all day. I decided to ask him my last big question, the one that had been bothering me all afternoon. Clarice from Aris was joking about me in big tree material. Then Annabeth, twice she said, she said, I might be the one. She said, I should talk to the Oracle. What was that all about? Luke folded his knife. I hate prophecies. What do you mean? His face twitched around his scar. Let's just say I messed things up for everybody else. The last two years, ever since my trip to the Garden of His Spirits, went sour. Tyrant hasn't allowed any more quests. Annabeth's been dying to get out in the world. She pestered Chiron to He pestered Chiron so much he finally told her already knew her he already knew her fate. He had a prophecy from the Oracle. He wouldn't tell her the whole thing, but he said Annabeth wasn't destined to go on a quest yet. She had to wait until somebody special came to the camp. Somebody special? Don't worry about it, kid. Luke said, Annabeth wants to think every new camper who comes through here is a moment she'd been waiting for. Now, come on, it's dinner time. The moment he said it, the horn blew in the distance. Somehow I knew it was a conch shell, even though I'd never heard one before. Luke yelled, Eleven, fallen! The whole cabin, about twenty of us, filled into the common's yard. We lined up in order of seniorities. So, of course, I was dead last. Campers came for the other cabins, too. Except the three empty cabins on the end. And cabin 8, which had looked normal in the daytime, but was now starting to glow silver as the sun went down. We marched up the hill to the mess hall pavilion. Sarah joined us in fr from the meadow. Knights emerged from the canoeing lake. A few other girls came out of the woods. When I say out of the woods, I mean straight out of the woods. I saw one girl, about nine or ten years old, melt from the side of a maple tree and come skipping into the hill, up the hill. And all were just maybe a hundred campers, a few dozen sayers, a dozen assorted woodmans and knights. At the pavilion, torches blazed around the marble columns. A central fire burned bronze brazier on the side of the backdrop. Each cabin has its own table, covered in white cloth trimming, trimmed in purple. 
four of the tables were empty, but cabin 11's was way overcrowded. I had to squeeze up to the edge of the bench within half my butt hanging off. I saw Grover sitting at table 12 with Mr. G, a few sitters, a couple of plump blonde boys who looked just like Mr. G. Kyron stood to one side, a picnic table being way too small for a centaur. Annabeth sat at table six with a bunch of serious-looking athletic kids, all with her gray eyes and honey blonde hair. Clary sat behind me at Ara's table. She apparently got it over being horsed around because she was laughing and belching right alongside her friends. Finally, Kyron pounded his hoof against the marble floor and pavilion and everybody fell silent. He raised a glass. To the gods! Everybody else raised their glasses. To the gods! Wood nymphs came forward with platters of food. Grapes, apples, strawberries, cheese, fresh bread, and yes, barbecue! My glass was empty, but Luke said, speak to it, whatever you want. Non-alcoholic, of course. I said, cherry coke. The glass filled with sparkling caramel liquid. Then they had an idea. Blue cherry coke. The soda turned a violet shade of cobalt. I took a cautious sip. Perfect. I drank a toast to my mother. She's not gone, I told myself. Not permanently, anyway. She's in the underworld. And if that's a real place, then someday... Here you go, Percy. Looks at handing me a platter of smoked brisket. I loaded my plate and was about to take a big bite when I noticed everybody getting up, carrying their plates toward the fire in the center of the pavilion. I wondered if they were going for dessert or something. Come on, Luke told me. As I got closer, I saw that everyone was taking a portion of their meal and dropping it into the fire. The ripest strawberry, the juiciest slice of beet, be- the warmest, most buttery roll. Look mattered in my ear, murmured in my ear. Burnt offerings for the gods. They like the smell. You're kidding. His look warned me not to take this lightly, but I couldn't help wondering why an immortal, all-powerful being would like the smell of burning food. Look approached the fire, bowed his head, and tossed in a cluster of fat red grapes. Hermes! I was thanks. I wish I knew the god's name to say. Finally, I made a silent plea. Whoever you are, tell me, please. I scraped a big slice of brisket into the flames. When I caught a whiff of smoke, I didn't gag. It smelled nothing like burning food. It smelled like hot chocolate and fresh baked brownies, hamburgers and a grill and wildflowers, and a hundred other good things that shouldn't have gone well together. But did. I could almost believe the gods could live off that smoke. When everybody had returned to their seats and finished eating their meal, Chiron pounded his hoof again for our detention. Mr. D got up with a huge sigh. Yeah, I suppose I better say hello to your brats. Well, hello, our activities director Chiron says the next happier flag is Friday. Cabin 5 presents holds the laurels. A bunch of ugly cheering rose from, ch- from the Aris table. Yeah! Personally, Mr. D continued, I couldn't care less, but congratulations. Also, I could tell you, I should tell you that we have a new camper day. Peter Johnson. Peter Johnson. Karen murmured something. 
are Percy Jackson, Mr. Deacon corrected. That's right. Hooray, you know that. Now run along to your silly campfire. Go on, everybody cheer. We all headed down toward the amphitheater, where Paula's cabin led a sing-along. We sang camp songs about the gods and ate s'mores and joked around. And the funny thing was, I didn't feel that anyone was staring at me anymore. I felt like I was home. Later that evening, when the sparks from the campfire were curling into a stare into a scary sky, the calm turned blue again, and we all fell back to our cabins. I didn't realize how exhausted I was until I collapsed on my borrowed sleeping bag, my fingers close around the minotaur's horn. I thought about my mom, but I had the good thoughts, good thoughts, her smile and the bedtime story she would read me when I was a kid, the way she would tell me not to let the big bugs bite. When I closed my eyes, I fell asleep instantly. That was my first day at Camp Haplet. I wish I'd known how to breathe and I would get to enjoy my new home. That's the end of Chapter 7. Stay tuned for Chapter 8.